welcome to the 30-Minute CMO Podcast. I'm Gorsha Huchur. This is a new project for me. And before we get into the show, I want to give you some background on why I decided to launch a podcast about marketing. We're living through extraordinary times. With COVID-19 changing the way we approach everyday lives in almost every imaginable way. Like many of you, I was shocked by the sudden onset and the seemingly endless scale of this crisis. Instinctively, I wanted to do something about it, but felt absolutely helpless. After all, what can a marketer do in this situation? At the same time, I was reading about stories of companies that we now know and love. Companies that form the fabric of our everyday lives. It was interesting to learn how so many of these success stories were born out of crises of the past whether it's the 2008 financial meltdown or the dot-com bubble at the turn of the century. And here we are, living in another such moment. And I thought that it would be fascinating to talk to marketers and founders, often in smaller companies, this could mean the same person, to find out how they're navigating their way through these uncharted waters and potentially finding opportunities along the way. And who knows, maybe five or 10 years from now, some of these companies will be as wildly successful as Airbnb or eBay are. And we were there, right at the beginning of this journey with them. And even if my guests and their companies don't become the next billion dollar venture, the lessons we can learn from their examples can help us learn something that we can apply to our own jobs and businesses. And even more importantly, to realize that we aren't alone and that with determination and a healthy dose of optimism, we will get through this pandemic. And now, my interview with Rafi Dukranian, the co-founder of Sippy. Enjoy. Today on the program is the founder of Sippy, a three-year-old company that is introducing gourmet coffee to the Middle East. Whilst while Sippy's business may be focused on the Middle East, its experience of growth and expansion can serve as inspiration for marketers here in the United States and elsewhere. With me today is Sippy's co-founder, Rafi Dukranian. Hey, Rafi. What's going on? So before we dive in, um, obviously, we're living in the age of coronavirus. You're based in Dubai. Um, describe to us a little bit how the situation there is. Is there a lockdown? Are businesses open, closed? Can you give us a sense of what you're experiencing and seeing? Um, 100% has actually been uh, quite interesting. And uh, up until about two days ago, we were in a, a complete lockdown. And just to explain what a complete lockdown actually means is 24-7, um, stuck at home, uh, can't move around. Um, now, you could actually apply for a permit uh, if you wanted to go get essentials such as groceries or obviously visit the hospital um, or other necessities like this. Uh, but uh, unless you had this permit, uh, you weren't able to, uh, to leave the house. Um, and the only uh, businesses that were really operationals were the essentials, the delivery, the logistics. This was uh, what was driving the, uh, the full economy for the past uh, six, eight weeks. It's been, uh, it's been tough. 
And what happened in the last two days? You said that. Um, well, we've just kicked into to Ramadan, uh, the holy month of Ramadan, um, and uh, they've eased a little bit of restrictions. Um, uh, malls have opened. Businesses are now able to have about 30% of their staff back, but there's very strict um, rules that have been in place by the government uh, in order to adhere um, and ensure that you know we don't pick back up on the uh, on the cases. I see. Well, it definitely sounds a lot more strict than we've experienced here in the U.S., um, but everyone is approaching it in their own way. So pivoting a little bit and uh, getting into, um, into your business, um, can you give us a brief history of SIPI, how you got the idea, and why you decided to execute in the Middle East? Um, well, um, many years ago, <laughs> um, uh, one, of my, uh, one of my MBA buddies and I um, were looking for business ideas to kind of launch. We've, been, we've had that entrepreneurial spirit kind of bustling in uh, for a long, long time, but we really didn't find that true pain point that people uh, were experiencing. Either we found a pain point that was, was nice, but it was small, and um, we really didn't really have anything in mind to really tackle it properly. Um, up until we we kind of started looking into the coffee industry, and what we saw was a very interesting little uptick in, in specialty coffee, which is this third or fourth wave, whatever you want to call it, uh, of um, of uh, the coffee industry, where um, a coffee shop or a roaster um, or a green bean supplier really takes care of the quality of coffee. And, and the journey from crop to cup is absolutely insane. You can compare it to a glass of very fine wine. Um, and what we saw was a small uptick in, in uh, consumer consumption um, and a little bit of an opening of cafes that were uh, catering to these particular consumers that were looking for an extremely high cup, cup, uh, quality cup of coffee. And it mainly happened to be GCC nationals, in this case, Emirati nationals, who travel a lot. Um, and since coffee is ingrained into their culture, when they travel, they would you know, try to go find the best cup of coffee they could find. And uh, little by little, they start bringing that particular experience into the Middle East. And when we started looking into it, we had maybe five to six of these specialty coffee shops around. But we kind of saw globally the trend moving quite rapidly, um, studying uh, the U.S., studying the Europe, and we saw a bit of an uptick into, into, the, into the local market. But what was happening in, in, in Dubai is a perfect example of, of brands, global brands. Uh, talk Starbucks, talk uh, Caribou, talk Nero, uh, name any big coffee chains. And these guys are pumping, you know, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in marketing, um, getting footfall to the door. And these guys were small um, and they were struggling. They were passionate about their coffee, but that's kind of where it ended. And unless they knew friends of friends of friends of friends, that's how their business would run. And this is where really the opportunity came where we said, well, look, listen, why don't we build a platform for these guys to be A, discoverable, and B, another pain point that we found, and this was done through uh, primary and secondary research, quite a lot of quant, quite a lot of qual. Uh, we found out that not only is it hard to find these places, but if you do find them, you know, there was a bit of a price premium just because of the, of the threshold. And if you look at the commodities market, um, about three to four times the price per kilo or per ton. So quite an interesting, uh, quite an interesting industry. So this is where we decided to jump in and pull, 
pump out an MVP that will do those two things pretty much. Um, number one, um, help people or coffee lovers discover these specialty coffee uh, houses, which are these kind of hidden gems, and help them, um, help them buy a cup of coffee uh, and save each time they will do that via uh, our mobile application. So this was kind of in a nutshell. Um, and uh, we started off quite well, um, obviously starting with one coffee shop that believed us. And I think uh, one, one uh, kind of learning that I give other inspiring entrepreneurs is to kind of have, if you have a, a business model that relies on kind of like a, a B2B basis and a B2C basis, how do you get the B2B in order to get the B2C? Um, it's always like the chicken and egg. One of the things that I always like to share is that, you know, you build the solution for your B2B partner and you build it, you know, hand in hand and, and you do the same thing with the consumer. So we found, you know, a couple of coffee lovers that were exhibiting, you know, had that pain point and we found those coffee shops that are willing to listen to us and kind of help us guide through the process. And once they became part of the process and they were having fun building this product with us, um, they became ambassadors and vice versa. Those consumers that were part of the process of building us also became ambassadors. And that's kind of how you start building out the your initial initial base. Um, and maybe I'm, I'm jumping ahead, but we have to pivot this whole model um, due to the current situation as our, our whole core is converting digital traffic, people that love specialty coffee and hopefully those that we can convert down the line from you know your main commodity, Starbucks, to specialty coffee, but to pivot completely because we're driving offline traffic. And since all the coffee shops closed the past two, three months, our startup was in dire need of another revenue stream. Well, we'll touch on that. Uh, that's a very interesting pivot. And we'll touch on that just a little bit later. I wanted to still drill in a little bit into this whole idea of the rise of the gourmet coffee, the third wave. It's a global phenomenon, right? And you spent most of your life in the US and in Europe uh, before you moved to, to the Middle East. Did you spot any key insights about the market that forced you to innovate and not simply replicate what was being done in other parts of the world as, as it regards to um, the third waves of coffee and how you built your product? Um, 100%. Um, this, was a, this was a very interesting journey. So once we started building out our MVP, um, we studied quite a lot of similar um, startups or, or business models uh, from around the world. And obviously a few that were quite successful had a few key elements that we're looking at. And um, this was actually one costly mistake from our side. So we decided to initially um, replicate one of the models um, and because uh, because we saw that not only were our competitors in the US um, had that model but we saw quite a lot of other startups in these hot pockets these specialty pockets um, also have this particular model so we said look listen there might be a rhyme and reason to this uh, let's test it out and and the model is relatively simple and I think maybe I need to explain a little bit of how uh, our startup um, works so as a coffee uh, lover, you will obviously download our app available on iOS and uh, Android, of course. Um, and uh, what you will do as after registration um, is you would actually buy um, a coffee plant currently. Uh, it's a top-up plan. Uh, you load up your digital wallet. Uh, the more money you put in or the bigger the plan that you buy, the more free money we give you on top of that. And you are then allowed to go through other independent network of specialty coffee shops and use that credit to purchase uh, coffee. Uh, inadvertently, obviously, uh, the more you top up, the more free money you give, and this is where your saving is. And uh, we had to pivot to that model because the initial model is 
um, it was counted cups. So you would buy, you know, five or 10 of these uh, coffee cups, and then you would go and redeem them. Now, one thing that we failed to see is um, one of the reasons this model worked in those hot pockets of specialty coffee was the discrepancy in prices per cup of coffee was relatively small. While for us, it was really, really large. So you could go and get an espresso for, um, I don't know, a dollar or two, still specialty coffee and still extremely high quality, but you can go to another coffee shop, again, really high quality, but you'll be paying three, four, five dollars. So the discrepancy was so wide and we didn't really catch this. And this is why our business model didn't work because how do you price it? How do you price a, a plant of five cups of coffee? And then, you know, you're going to have customers complaining like, well, I just bought this bulk of coffee. I got a little bit of saving. Yeah, but I could have gone to the cheap guys. Uh, and even I'm going to be getting a really good quality of coffee, but still, I'm still not saving. So, we, we integrated this particular model, we tested it, and we saw it didn't work. Now, the reason I say this was a costly mistake is early on when you're building products, especially MVPs and, and mobile applications, um, you know, these are, these are costly mistakes. So we had to pivot to our new business model, which was this kind of digital wallet where you buy the credit. And, and that was kind of one of the, the first mistakes that were good in order to, to see how people started interacting. And then we started playing a little bit more with the model. And do we include one plan? Is it two plans? Is it five plans? How many plans is too many? How many plans is too little? What is the revenue uh, model that you have to put in place or the discount in this particular um, scenario in order to really um, uh, actually have a savings for the user and also a relatively good revenue stream for ourselves? Um, in order to make this thing uh, work. So that was our, that was a big elevation, at least in the very early stages. You're talking about building, obviously, the MVP, um, the early stages. So here in the US, um, there's a great deal of choice when it comes to technology providers for small businesses, right? Like you can uh, spin up a Shopify store, you have five different payment processors, more uh, that you can use, your cloud storage options are um, fairly limitless website builders, et cetera. And we often take it for granted and even find ourselves inundated with that much supply of choice. I understand that this is not the case in the Middle East. Can you talk to us about how you encountered this lack of choice and what problems it presented for your business in that early MVP stage? Uh, big ones. So this is where it gets a little interesting. Um, so when we first decided to, to move into uh, building an MVP, we were, you know, I, relatively new to the whole tech scene. Um, I had spun up a few websites before, but apps were a completely different game. And uh, the first and obvious choice was bring a friend who can potentially build you uh, what is called a web progressive app where you know you pretty much build an e-commerce, you wrap it up in a nice little uh, app and call it a, you call it a native app and hope to have the same experience. So lesson number one is, um, well, at least from our side, uh, don't work with friends, uh, especially when you're paying them next to nothing, just because the motivation is not going to be there. So that was our first lesson. Uh, we went out um, and found a friend who was in Canada who was really good at building websites, and he was going to just, you know, as I said, wrap it up into a nice little mobile application, um, and we were going to pay him something in the tune of I think two, three thousand dollars, something negligible. Again, this is an MVP, so that that's quite fine, but the motivation wasn't there, so we suffered from. Uh, losing quite a lot of time but uh, that 
turns out to be a silver lining sometimes. Um, so the second uh, step was, well, okay, so if we can't build something as scrappy, let's start talking to uh, app developers. And we started, you know, looking into who's in the region, who has built what, et cetera, et cetera. And, and quite frankly, we're looking at um, prices that were just not in our, in our pocketbooks. Uh, um, I, think, uh, I think the cheapest one we found was sixty seventy thousand dollars which is obviously not an mvp that's a proper app um so we actually um uh, looked at pretty much scouring from from london to to delhi trying to find developers uh, and lesson number two that we learned is uh, at least from our side is, i guess is um, when working with developers, uh, the closer they are to you, the better, just because those discussions uh, are, are um, very, very important when, you, when you're having them. Uh, and having them hear you out in person and explain things with your hands and feet or whatever the case is, is very important. So um, we, uh, as, as most startups, kind of got lucky. We were able to find somebody that was able to do uh, a, a great job at a low cost, uh, but it took a while. So uh, to find this particular person who was not only good at web uh, or app development, but they were also good at UX and UI. And since we're kind of still unsure of what we wanted at that time, um, this particular developer was not only good at UX, UI, and uh, the dev side of stuff, but they were also coffee lovers. So in, in a way, it kind of worked out. They were kind of building. They, they understood the, the theme, the mission. 100% and they they were part of our uh, you know target consumer somebody that's extremely well educated about the specialty coffee and this is one of the reasons we were able to actually get a pretty good deal uh, because you know it was not only a financial uh, incentive but it was a passion project at the same time so we kind of got lucky in that side but you need these types of breaks so this is this was kind of challenge number one um, you either you either play with the with the big boys or you you get nothing at all and this is not something that we have a, a great access to um, at least this was the case uh, three four years ago um so that's that's challenge number one challenge number two and then you picked up on something that was that's that's a big point to this day is payment gateways um they, there's just a very uh, uh, small amount of payment gateways you can really tap into. Um, and the international players are building strategies to enter, but it's quite tricky for them. Um, we, we, we started with one that most people were using. Um, that turned out to be, uh, I'm not going to name any names, but uh, that didn't work out for us. So we had to drop them, which is costly again, because payment integration within an app at the time very costly. Um, we picked up another one. Um, I'm going to name any names. They got bought out by Amazon and their startup friendly rates were no longer startup friendly. So we had to drop <laughs> that one, but to reintegrate a new one. Um, and the latest one is not even a local player. They're using some very uh, interesting ways to able for us to be able to accept local payments. Um, uh, so that particular part uh, is uh, is quite interesting and a lot of people are still struggling and we're still struggling to get proper payment gateways. Now a few more are pip popping up, but they call themselves payment gateways, but they're more banks, but startup friendly banks, let's say. That's very interesting. And look, I know technology is obviously a huge component, but it's not the only thing a business needs to scale and investment is a critical component and few people are able to bootstrap their businesses through all phases of growth. Uh, in the U.S. and in Europe, the path is uh, often through VCs or strategic investors. 
And while it's not easy to land an investment, there is definitely a choice. What is the investment climate like in the Middle East for startups and what options do you have? Well, uh, another great question. Um, you literally keep pointing at these uh, little issues that we always have. So again, uh, three to four years ago, and, and things have been slightly different. Um, investors, uh, it was a bit of a hidden miss. Um, the investment, uh, Middle East uh, startup investment is now currently at a, at a very uh, healthy, but yet still not there yet type of climate. Uh, but beforehand, it was these kind of hit and misses. You either get, uh, you know, angels or, or VCs kind of like pumping crazy money into startups without really any merit, or at least no merit was seen at the times of those investments. I think things um, became a little bit more interesting when we had the Kareem takeover uh, from Uber uh, and that kind of gave us our first unicorn uh, and then obviously Amazon coming in and, uh, and buying out uh, soup.com, which was our local Amazon. This was another great indicator. And we've had these fluctuations, but on the surface, that, that's great. But underneath it all, there was a lot, a lot, a lot of bad deals. And it was just kind of this hype of a lot of, puppy, a lot of people with a lot of money looking to invest in it. Um, our, our struggle was, was, was unfortunate, I would say, and uh, our story is a little bit uh, interesting, but when we uh, launched, we had one really, really interested investor, um, an angel um, that really, really believed this, and this was very early stages. I'm talking in our second month of operation, so super, super early, um, and this is a, a very interesting actually learning from us. So, we uh, obviously at, at that stage in, in your second month, when somebody asks you how much are you worth, obviously there's no answer. I mean, uh, there's no way you could pull out a valuation and go, I'm worth this much. This is how much you want to invest in and then start having the conversation. So what we looked at to see, you know, we're still early into this discussion. We weren't really sure as to how to approach investment uh, discussions. Um, we looked at and borrowed a page out of Silicon Valley's book, which was a, a, a convertible um, equity. Um, it seemed like the right uh, way forward as it's kind of risk averse on, on both sides of, um, of, of the coin. So we went in and we said, um, we were super happy that you're interested in our startup um, would like to um, negotiate a convertible equity offer and this is where like everybody was kind of stumped they're like what's that and we were like okay so this is kind of how it works you know they did not they did not know what this was in the in the region no and um, they did not i mean in to this day you'll find a lot of people that don't now there's a lot of seasoned angels there's a lot of vcs that are that obviously know how to uh, know these terms but until you get to the vc stage you need to talk to angels and you again hit and miss um it, i, I would have assumed this conversation would have been a lot easier uh, and i would have had a lot more frequent conversations such as this one uh, and where, where you're from or you're currently residing. Um, so that was, uh, that was kind of like the, we don't know what that is and what do you mean we're going to give you money now and we don't know what your valuation is and we're going to agree something down the line and et cetera, et cetera. No way. We want to know now. 
You're like, well, I'm sorry, but how are you going to, and we have zero cash flows. Uh, how are you going to put anything together? There's no comparables uh, in the market uh, to us because we were kind of a unique business model at the time. There was some loyalty apps out there that were doing okay, but really that was the closest and it was so indirect. I mean, it was one of those good problems to have where we're the only ones in the market doing something of the sorts, but then on the other flip side, you know, what do you compare it to? And I'm not going to give you, you know, a, a startup out of the U.S. that's worth $40 million and go, well, we're going to do that. So, you know, we're worth whatever. So that was the initial conversation. And, and this sucks because the, the, the actual angel uh, who, who we're still in talks with, uh, uh, young, uh, educated gentleman, but he uh, had a, an investment advisor with him or somebody that he trusted. And this guy was kind of old school mentality where, you know, they're cracking these deals that are, uh, again, old school um, and this didn't, it didn't work out. So um, that was a kind of our very early on um, kind of experience. Um, and it still kind of resonates up until this day to a certain extent. Now, again, things have gotten a lot better and people are a lot more cautious and there's a lot more due diligence being done, uh, but still not enough uh, from uh, what I hear. So three years, you've obviously managed to attract some investment. You've obviously managed to grow your initial product into something that, that has a loyal following and um, you've scaled it on both sides. Let's talk about your latest venture. You were touching it earlier, Sippy Beans. Now, as I understand, it's a service that delivers beans from quality independent roasters to your home. You understand correctly. <laughs> the idea is that if you really like how your favorite coffee shop makes its coffee, you can get the same beans and do it at home. And you launched this a few months right before COVID-19 hit. Um, yeah. So we, we had a bit of a strategy, right? So after uh, we received our first round or our, our, I'd call it a pre-seed uh, round of investment, what we wanted to do is go from an MVP to at least a, a 2.0 where there was a lot of uh, cracks in our product that were driving customers away. So we wanted to fix that. Um, uh, there we, we gathered quite a lot of, again, uh, user feedback to, to see how we can fix it. And as we were working on, uh, on this and we, this time we, we got um, a much better development company, somebody that has done this before, actually uh, we're proud to say the same people that actually built the Kareem app. Uh, so, uh, quality, quality work there. Um, uh, this is where we wanted to to kind of extend uh, that journey. So not only do I want to drive you to uh, a specialty coffee shop, maybe your favorite, maybe a new one that you've never tried, but um, we also wanted to kind of go, well, if you're going to love that experience in the coffee, the coffee shop, and you're really enjoying the beans that you're uh, consuming at that particular coffee shop, perhaps you would like to buy those and take them home um, or have them delivered to your home and make coffee there because quite a lot of uh, our consumers are not only coffee drinkers, but they're also coffee makers because again, it, it's, it's passion. And one of the ideas that we were toying with was, well, how awesome would it be if our mobile app like, would, would kind of recommend says, hey, we know you were at this particular coffee shop, you had this particular bean, would you like to actually buy it and make it at home? We can give you a great uh, recipe you can follow and it could be just like you had it in the, uh, in the coffee shop, should you have the equipment, of course. Um, and we were kind of toying with this. Um, but at the same time, I was also toying with the idea of, well, if we really wanted to test that e-commerce side of the business where we just wanted to test whether consumers are, are willing to buy roasts for home because 
such a platform didn't really exist, uh, uh, kind of like an e-commerce for uh, roasteries to sell their beans. Um, uh, that was kind of a, an easy way to do it. Like just throw something together, throw it out in the market and see what happens. So, uh, you know, uh, everybody today can, you know, whip up a relatively basic e-commerce um, website if you have a payment gateway provider that integrates freely and you don't need any development <laughs> costs there. So we, we got lucky there. Um, and that was kind of the idea. The idea was like, well, let's, let me just test a, a simple little marketplace. This is when October of last year, when I was start, started ideating this and I was speaking with my co-founder on this, this is like, look, listen, that's a bit of a big step to, to launch a big e-commerce. I was like, it's not going to be anything big. Let me just put something together. Uh, we already know all the players in the market. So that's our competitive advantage. Right. And from a marketplace perspective, a order comes through. Um, we partner with one of our 60 logistics partners. Now that's something that we have abundant stuff. Uh, and uh, we'll, they'll just go pick it up from the roastery, freshly roasted and deliver it to the customer. At least I just wanted to test that. And I put together a, a very dirty uh, MVP in November um, and then just kind of let it slide with, with one roaster. Um, and at this point, we're, you know, in the development stages of our, of our mobile application and, you know, Christmas comes, we pass through New Year's, we kind of get a few more roasters, then all of a sudden, organically, people starting to discover us. And again, this is not a, you know, SEO optimized website. This is something that's quite hidden. It has a couple of keywords that potentially pop us up, but that's it. Um, and then one order comes through, a second, third, fourth. Now we're in February and things are like, hmm, this is interesting. A few more. We get a couple of calls from some other roasters that want to be on board. Like, hey, we heard. We started to understand that having a digital uh, com commerce platform in general for roasters is, is a very difficult task. While for us, now that we're relatively seasoned, we can put something together quickly. Um, we know how... I'm going to say we know how the logistics works uh, or the, the operations work. We know how to speak to the consumer. Uh, we know who the consumer is. We've already spoken to him the past couple of years. So we had a large database that we can already just talk to. Um, all we need to do is put together a nice uh, portfolio of brands. Um, and, and, uh, and that's kind of how bit by bit, this kind of MVP became a little bit bigger than that. And as soon as, uh, COVID-19 started uh, messing up some of the physical retail. And as soon as the coffee shops started to close, the roastery started calling. And in, from Feb, uh, mid-Feb, more or less, I would say even end of Feb, up until mid-March, we went from four roasters to 15, uh, which is just, and we were able to sign those deals aggressively quickly and and on our terms just because these guys are we're starting to see wait my core customer my b2b customer is no longer there i need to generate revenue these are the, the guys the only guys in the place that actually can push it to b2c um and we've been tremendously lucky uh that in no time we've we've seen tremendous success and um Proud to say that April was probably the best month for a startup period. Um, so, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's uh, it's crazy. I mean, in a weird way, the this was the perfect timing for something like Sippy Beans to launch, and you could never have predicted it. 
we knew that there was some potential in this just because there, there weren't, there aren't, or there weren't many players in the market that were doing so. And only a few of the roasteries were really selling uh, on e-commerce, but just the demand from both sides were like, Whoa, you guys have these brands. Whoa, you have a platform to, to talk to coffee lovers. It was just, it, it absolutely exploded. Um, and we've done it with literally no investment from our side. Everything, everything has been swept pretty much. So what have you found to be the biggest surprise? I mean, you talked a little bit about your own surprise, but like surprise for the industry during the last month and a half, you know, not just for the company, but for independent coffee industry in the region that depends on, uh, on consumers. How are coffee shops faring? How are roasters faring? Are they finding your service, I guess, to be a lifeline, right? Um, for some, 100%. Um, and keep in mind, a roastery has a couple of different uh, customers, right? So on a much smaller scale, B2C, uh, end consumer or direct to consumer. Uh, then the coffee shops, and obviously everybody's competing to 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 be in a coffee shop and, and be their uh, customer, but also also hotels. Um, and imagine all your lifelines uh, going down in no time. Uh, so this was this was critical. Uh, and some of the coffee shops, if they were allowed to, they would just do um, pickup uh, or, or delivery. So. The delivery services uh, were another lifeline, but the only problem with, with our industry, especially with specialty coffees, it's not something you can deliver. Uh, it's something that you need to have as soon as it's made. Otherwise, it doesn't live up to its promise of, of great quality, right? You ruin the whole experience. Um, so this is where we started launching just small little campaigns saying, hey, we know we're stuck at home. Do you want to become a home barista? Or has your home become a home cafe? Um, what has happened in 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 something that's uh, quite uh, quite shocking when I moved to moved to the region is um, in in offices you usually have uh, service assistants that that are part of kind of of the of the company that would swing by your desk and say, "Would you like a cup of coffee?" Um, and this was in our offices, so we've we kind of played around that. Says, "Has your home become you know your home office?" Mm -hmm. Which is which says, "But you have that person to come in." ask you for your coffee. You don't. So why don't you make coffee at home? So mm -hmm. we started playing, uh, playing on this, but, but the guys really suffered. And then, and what was happening, um, what was happening in Q1 of this year is quite a lot of roasters were actually launching really, really cool brands um, uh, with, with some great products, but all of a sudden they were like, well, who do we sell to? And this is where um, they, they were like, look, this, you guys are, you guys are our answer for the time being. You have to be our answer. Otherwise, um, won't survive. And all of a sudden we were like, okay, great. Awesome. We know how to market mobile apps, but wait, I've never really done e-commerce really properly before. So, um, you know, in a, in a month's time, we learned a thing or two about running an e-commerce, but the surprise was just a flood of, of roasters. Uh, that is, I mean, we're in talks with another six or seven at the moment. Um, I'm even talking to roasters from Canada and France and Germany that, that are, that are also looking to push, uh, push their product through. Um, yeah, no, that was been a big surprise for everybody. I can, I can imagine. So your, your original business before beans launched, your original business was meant to be a discovery tool for interesting independent coffee shops. You know them well, I'm sure you know the owners really well. For those that will survive the initial lockdown, what do you think the post lockdown reality will look like? How will they reopen? What will that cafe experience look like in the era of coronavirus, in your opinion? 
That's a very good question. Again, well prepared. Um, well, I think for those that do survive, um, they will survive for a few reasons. I think one uh, would be um, how cash rich they are, um, because quite a lot of these cafes are owned by affluent uh, GCC nationals. So they can weather the storm. Um, that's number one. Number two, there's special privileges that, that do adhere to those, again, GCC nationals, um, where they may be able to negotiate favorable rental rates um, and are able to pay uh, salaries of their employees. So, so money, cash, uh, has quite a lot to play with. That's number one. Number two, um, if you were a local favorite, um, if you had great brand equity, I would... Um, probably assume that you would have a much better chance withstanding this particular period of time than, than others. If you were a new coffee shop, um, then it would be very, very, very tough. Um, how would people come out of this? I think it will be a, a trickle effect. Um, one thing that I've been speaking, I have a favorite coffee shop that I go to, which is luckily right across from, from my office. And I was talking to one of my one of my colleagues, and he was like, "I just can't wait to go and get that flat white from <laughs> our you know our favorite spec." And I'm like, "I'm the same, even though I can make just as good a, of a flat white in my house, uh, but it's just that that experience." So people are craving this experience, and this is where we're kind of hoping to to be that front line for the coffee shops, uh, just because we have all these people that have been locked up for the past two months craving coffee. Uh, creating the coffee experience at the coffee shop, going to their favorite coffee shop, smelling the coffee, meeting their favorite barista, um, having a conversation uh, and having that experience inside the coffee shop. So we as SIPI are hoping to be this front line and say, hey, guys, these are all the guys that are currently around and, and they're accepting and they want you to go and support them. Now is the time, please go and support your local favorite specialty coffee shop or go try a new one. Uh, this is what they need and this is what you're craving. So we are hoping that will be kind of that voice um, and it will, but we're not going to be the silver bullet, of course. Uh, and I think the coffee shops that are going to probably have a better time are going to be those that are around corporate offices, um, mm. those that are going to be around slightly more populous areas that they're going to do a little bit better than the ones that are quite remote, those true, true hidden gems um, and I fear for those guys. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge unknown. I can relate in missing or feeling like I miss the vibe and the environment, the smell when you open the door of the, of your favorite coffee shop, it's everything. And uh, I think it, um, it's not something that people will be willing to give up, but how you make your customers feel comfortable and safe, uh, while still providing them that experience, I think that's going to be the trick to unlock the key, the key thing to unlock for a lot of these. Yeah, um, um, you, you said something very interesting that I wanted to touch on is, is the safety, the safety bit. And uh, one thing that was um, quite interesting to see is how a lot of the roasteries and in general businesses, not just our industry, but in general, many businesses, there were, especially the ones that were delivering to your home, the effort they made to say, 
look guys, whatever we're doing in our warehouses, the, the, however the product's coming to you, we've taken all the necessary measures to ensure that you're going to be safe when the products arrive at your, at your home. Um, and, and we did the same thing when we're looking at logistics partners and there's so many of them, like what's the process of delivery? If a consumer is gonna be um, uh, kind of worried about a, you know, handing over a package from an unknown driver that's come from God knows where, like what's the process like? And we were looking to eliminate some of the steps um, that, that logistics partners have, such as, you know, like handing over your ID, signing on their mobile phone when the, when the, uh, when the order arrives. So we we're looking at the guys that kind of took a couple of those steps away and obviously mm -hmm. um, were within the regulations of safety that we were here just to make sure that that experience from when you bought it from our, our, our e-commerce website to when it arrives to your home uh, is, is well maintained. It's, it's tight because, um, you, you know, you, your initial customers are your best customers. The last thing you want is for, is for them to feel like they, they didn't get the best, they didn't, they didn't get the best product because they got sick or something. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want <laughs> No. So look, uh, final question. Um, if you could look a year into the future, what would make you happy and proud in terms of what your business Sippy could achieve? Um, so our business set out to do a couple of things. Um, first is to create a platform for the independent specialty coffee shops to compete against the big chain. This was our kind of first mantra. Um, and this is so both revenue streams at the moment that we have the e-commerce and the app uh, adhere to that but we want to take it uh, above and beyond just uh, the uae we want to be a regional presence and hopefully one day global but within the next year i'd love to be into the other big markets that have so many great coffee shops and great roasteries and the showcase um show showcase them pretty much not not only within its own region but uh, but to the world so one thing that we saw and this is another reason why quite a lot of roasteries are with us is a lot of these international players um, especially the big guys the big specialty coffee houses because there is such a thing as a, a big specialty uh, um, uh, roaster is they've got the means to be in the region and they're eating up the the share of the local guys and this is where we want to create a platform to say you know what you got to buy local. You have to buy UAE or you have to buy Saudi or you have to buy Kuwaiti beans because um, these guys are great at what they're doing and they're on par when it comes to quality. So within a year, I'd love to be originally be able to represent the region and represent the region not only within the region, KSA to the UAE or UAE to Kuwait, but I also like to start shipping to North America and Europe and hopefully soon, very soon, um, I'll be shipping to the US. I'm hoping you're going to be my first customer. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Um, and this is kind of what we want to just say, hey guys, the Middle East has a tremendous uh, array of phenomenally great roasters um, and would love to expose those to you. Or if you're a traveler and there's a frequent travel between the UAE and Kuwait and Saudi Arabia and et cetera, et cetera, we want to say, hey, if you're enjoying the specialty coffee experience in Saudi, check these guys out that are near your hotel, for example, check them out and vice versa. And this is kind of where we want to really build a platform that's going to help the full community. Uh, and I guess we're maybe a little bit more ambitious, but there's another puzzle to this whole pie. And it's not just the roasteries and the coffee shops. There's, there's the baristas as well. And this is where we want to create another platform that puts together 
the roasteries and, and the coffee shops with the barista community to create an environment of employment where uh, uh, coffee shops can find the right talent for their cafes and vice versa, great talent finds the right cafe to work at. Um, and because that's also a platform that doesn't exist today um, and it's extremely fragmented. Again, adhering to the whole culture of specialty coffee and, and supporting it in, in its growth, again, to compete with the, with the big boy chains. Well, I can say that um, someone as someone who has tried the product um, when I was in Dubai a couple of years ago, it really does meet that um, wanderlust expectation that I think a lot of travelers um, have when they get on a plane and go to a new place. A lot of people who travel for business, they, they miss out on um, what is truly local because it's so easy to just get stuck in, um, in, in the wheel of the chains, right? And so obviously right now no one is traveling, but travel will resume. People will start going again. If you are listening to this or watching this um, and you have plans to go to the Middle East and to Dubai specifically, download the Sippy app because it's going to really unlock the doors to what the country and the region is about, especially through this lens of independently owned gourmet coffee shops. I don't think you will be disappointed. I think it's a really cool experience to see how something that's so global can be so localized and so unique at the same time. Thank you, Rafi. This was my conversation with Rafi Dikranian, co-founder of SIPI. Um, if you like this program, please like and follow us. And if you have suggestions for future interviews and interesting marketers, drop us a line. Thank you for having me. Can't wait for the next episode.